Amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, I hope and pray you do. Turn with me to Psalm 18. Psalm 18. We're going to continue our series, uh, summer series in the Psalms. Psalm 18. There's something about that name. Thank you, William and team. That Melissa used to sing that song to our son, our son every night when she'd put him to bed when he was a baby. And he would say, sing Jesus, Mommy, sing Jesus. And so uh, that name's special in the life of our family, Psalm 18. Uh, you will see as we get through this that Psalm 18 is a very personal psalm that David wrote for us. And it's actually a song, S-O-N-G, that he wrote, as are most of the psalms. That was the Hebrew hymn book, Psalm 18. The title of the message is An Unshakable Confidence in the Lord. An Unshakable Confidence in the Lord. If you're physically able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? And as we read this, uh, just be reminded that the Lord is speaking. If you do not have a copy of God's Word, the passage will be on the screen uh, behind me in front of you. And so God says to us, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day you've given us. What a wonderful day of worship and celebration we've, we've had already. And Lord, thank you for the opportunity again to study your word and Lord, I just pray that in, in these final few minutes together, you'd be glorified, magnified, and exalted. You'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And Lord, God, that your word would just penetrate to the depths of our heart, our souls, and our minds. Lord Jesus, make yourself known. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat. I want to share with you a passage of scripture from 2 Samuel 22, beginning in verse 1, and just... Tell me if this sounds familiar. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, and my Savior. You saved me from violence. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. For the, de uh, the waves of death engulfed me, the torrents of destruction terrified me, the ropes of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. David wrote this song following a long life where he had seen and witnessed the mighty hand of God work in him, specifically how God had delivered him time and time again from the grasp of Saul and from the hands of his enemies. And so this song is a proclamation as well as a celebration of God's great work and God's nature 
in, in, in character, his unchanging nature and character. Now, it's quite interesting that when David wrote this song and compiled it with the other psalms, he modified it a little bit, he changed it a little bit, and he did so so that it could be used in a corporate worship setting. But if you go back and look at 2 Samuel 22 and then Psalm 18 and read those together, you'll see just this, this incredible uh, similar language. For it's the same song that David wrote in the latter parts and latter years of his life, just looking back on and celebrating and proclaiming the great work of God in his life. Now, I want to just briefly, very briefly, I want to kind of share with you a timeline of how we got to this point in David's life. And let's begin here. Let's begin with the time David served as King Saul's armor bearer. So we're not necessarily going to look at his childhood and his adolescent years, but he came to be King Saul's armor bearer, okay? And he was close to King Saul, and he would play the harp for King Saul, very close to him. Well, then we know that David uh, was used by God to defeat Goliath and the Philistines, and he became a national hero. Well, you would think that that would have been celebrated greatly, but not so in King Saul's mind because enraged with jealousy and on multiple occasions over the next many, many years, he sought to kill David. And so David spent a lot of his young adult life running from Saul, running from cave to cave and refuge to refuge, just hoping to stay alive. During this time, uh, the Philistines rejected helping David and, and his band of brothers, his, his small army. Uh, he was attacked by the Amalekites. Uh, and then David becomes king upon Saul's death. And then civil war breaks out. Well, David's uh, crew won that civil war. And then the Philistines attacked Israel. And then the Ammonites attacked Israel. Then Absalom, David's son, rebelled against him and tried to form a coup and take over the kingdom. And then a gentleman by the name of Shabbat rebelled and tried to take over the kingdom. Then the Gibeonites attacked Israel. And in every instance, one right after another, God did this great work of deliverance in the life of David and in the life of Israel. And oh, by the way, in the middle of this, at a low point in his life, David got lazy, he began to rest on his laurels. When he should have been at war, he was at home, and he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then subsequently had her husband murdered. And yet, through all of these things, in response to God's faithfulness, in response to God's goodness, David writes this song of celebration and proclamation. And that, that's why it's a deeply personal psalm for David, for he lived this, and he wants to celebrate the Lord in it. The focus is not on David's victories. The focus is on God who brought him the victories. Now, I want to share with you just real briefly why this particular passage of Scripture is very personal to me. And it became real to me on September 19th, 2019. On that Thursday afternoon, I got a phone call from Melissa, who was in Mobile with our oldest daughter, Elizabeth, who was 20 at the time. She had just left the, uh, the imaging center, and they had gotten the reports from the radiologist who diagnosed my daughter with a tumor in her brainstem. 
Now, I don't know anything about medicine, and I don't know anything about anatomy or physiology or any of the above, but I knew enough from the sound of my wife's voice that this was not good. And everything in our world came crashing down in just a mere matter of minutes. And for the first time in my life, I was helpless and I was hopeless and I didn't know where to turn and I didn't know what to do as a husband or as a father. And over the next 24 hours, God led me to this passage of Scripture along with Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2, and Psalm 50 and verse 15. And I memorized them, and I began to just repeat them. I began to walk around my house and my yard just saying these passages of Scripture over and over and over. The next day, Melissa and Elizabeth would arrive home. And a week later, we would go to UAB where they would do another MRI. And by God's grace, it was not a tumor. It was what is called a cavernous malformation. But nonetheless, six months later, she had to have it surgically removed. And that was another journey for us. But so just like David, these words are deeply personal to me. And they became real to me when I was in a place that I didn't have anywhere to turn except the Lord. And I hope these words will be real to you as well. And so let's dive into this together. David says, I love you, Lord. Now remember, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh or Jehovah. This is the proper name of the one true God. Remember, this is the name by which God revealed himself and made himself known to Moses. Remember, at the burning bush, he came to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to lead my people to freedom. I want you to lead them out of slavery and bondage. And he said, well, who do I tell them sent me? And he says, you tell them I am. And then for the first time in Scripture, God refers to himself as Lord, as Yahweh, as Jehovah in Exodus chapter 3. He says, this is the name by which I want to be known, Yahweh, Jehovah, the one true God. Well, it's very interesting as you follow Scripture that this is the name of God that Jesus brought us back to in John chapter 8 when he was engaged in that heated discussion with the religious leaders. And he began to say to them, Abraham longed to see my day. And they looked at him and said, wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. You haven't seen Abraham. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. In other words, I am Lord. I am Yahweh. I am Jehovah. Now, David did not know him by the name of Jesus. You and I know him by the name of Jesus. David knew him by the name of Yahweh or Jehovah. He knew him as Messiah and as Lord. So you and I, as we read through the text of Scripture, not only here but anywhere else, when you see the word Lord in all capital, you need to just, in your mind, you need to say Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus. And so we see the Lord here. And so David is going to reflect on several truths about the Lord and his relationship with the Lord that I want us just to dive into this morning. The first thing, if you're following along in your notes, I want you to see an all-encompassing love of God, an all-encompassing love of God. Notice what David writes here. He says, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Now, here's what's quite interesting. That language is not found in 2 Samuel 22 in the first version of this song. That came later when he repackaged this song, when he modified it for the book of Psalms. He says, I love you, Lord. The language used by David refers to the deepest kind of love. 
It refers to a love that encompasses all of his heart and all of his soul and all of his mind and all of his strength. In other words, David has come to that place in his life through years of experience and through years of relationship and through years of intimacy with the Lord. And David can say unashamedly, God, I I love you with all of my being, with every ounce of who I am. I love you, Lord. And that's what the Lord wants for me, and that's what the Lord wants for you. Look with me at these verses of Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. This is part of the Shema. It's, it's the, if you will, the, the creed of Judaism. This is the passage of Scripture all young Jewish kids memorize at a very young age. And the Orthodox Jews still repeat this daily. Moses says, listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. God wants us to love him with all of who we are, with every ounce of our being. Matter of fact, it's so important to us. Look with me in Matthew chapter 22. The Pharisees came to Christ to ask him what's the greatest command in the law. And look what he says here. He says to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Isn't that something? And so David exhibits this love for God that is a love that's greater than any other love, any other affection, any other devotion in his life. So we see this all-encompassing love of God. But, but next, I want you to see a desperate situation. Look with me at verses 4 and 5. He says, the ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. David fears the worst. From his perspective, death and destruction are inevitable. David finds himself in these situations. He finds himself in these circumstances, and he doesn't have anywhere to turn. He doesn't know what to do, and he's desperate. The language wrapped terrified, entangled, or confronted, likens to an animal in a trap. That animal is hopeless. That animal is helpless. That animal can't do anything on his own. He's overwhelmed by the situation. He's overwhelmed by the circumstance. Listen, David, he knows that he's helpless to, quote, unquote, he's helpless to win without the intervention of God. David knows that that the challenge is he faces the only solution to those challenges is God. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever been in a place like that where you don't have anywhere to turn, you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to go. (laughs) And let me remind us, not only was it true for David, but it's true for you and me. At the end of the day, God is the only solution to all of our problems. That's it. He's the only place we have to turn. Any other avenue is going to let us down ultimately, but not the Lord. And so we see this desperate situation. But next, I want you to see David's desperate plea for help. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, I called to the Lord. We come down to verse 6. He says again, I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. The language implies desperation. David is desperate for God to intervene. He's desperate for God to do something. He's desperate for God to do what only God 
can do. David knows that only God can rescue him. David knows that only God can help him. David knows that only God can deliver him from these various situations and circumstances. And he cries out to him. Listen, it's far more than just a folding of the hands, a bowing of the head, and the closing of the eyes. It's much more than that. And those of you that have cried out to God know what it's like. You know the desperation. You, you know when you exhaust all of your energy, your emotional and your physical and your spiritual energy in, in prayer and crying out to God. That's where David is. He's laid it all out there before the Lord. And he's empty because he's desperate. It's the same language, very similar language we read in the Gospels when Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of his betrayal and his rest. Let me just remind you of the adjectives that are used in our Gospels. He was deeply distressed. He was sorrowful. He was troubled. He was deeply grieved. He was in anguish. He was sweating drops of blood. That's the intensity with which David is praying here. And like I said, he's exhausted all of his emotional and physical and spiritual energy in prayer and crying out to God. He understands God is his only hope. And 3,000 or so years later, we need to remind ourselves of the very same truth. God is our only hope. Whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, he's our only hope. And we need to learn to cry out to him, church. We need to learn to call out to him in desperation. But the next thing I want you to see, look with me at the latter half of verse 6. The Lord hears our prayers. He says, I called to the Lord in my distress and I cried to my God for help. Now watch this. From his temple, that is from his presence, the place that he dwells, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Church, the prayers of God's children never go unheard. God wants us and God desires us to cry out to him, to call out to him in prayer, to plead with him to move and to work. God wants that from us. God, Listen, God never tires of our pleading. Let me just speak to the parents in the room for just a moment. When your child begs for something over and over, you reach a point where it get, gets on your nerves, doesn't it? Don't you, right? Let's be honest, okay? God never reaches that point with his children. It never bothers God that you and I plead with him and cry out to him. God wants us praying. Look with me at Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and he's emphasizing this persistent consistent attitude in prayer. Look at what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be open. Paul would say it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Pray without ceasing. God delights in the prayers of his children. Be faithful to pray. Don't ever think you're bothering God, for you're not. You're not. Now, some of you are saying, well, um, God, di doesn't, God didn't answer my prayers. God always answers our prayers. He answers with a yes, a wait, or a no, but he always answers our prayers. 
You say, well, I want a yes. Well, sometimes our prayers aren't what God wants for us because we're praying, James says, with the wrong motives. Look with me at Psalm 37.4. Here's a sure way to have your prayers answered in the way you want. The psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, what does it not say? It doesn't say God's going to give you the desires of your heart. It says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of heart. Here's what happens. You ready? When you and I delight in the Lord, when you and I so want to know and understand him and, and have such intimacy with him, are you ready for this? God's desires become our desires, and God is glad to grant us his desires in our life. So here's what happens. When we delight in the Lord, we begin to pray the word and the will of God, and what does God have to do? God honors that. His desires become our desires. We want what God wants. The Lord hears our prayers. And now I want us to transition because I want you to see the unchanging nature and character of God that David emphasizes in these verses. Here's the first thing I want you to see. The Lord is our might and power. The Lord is our might and power. Look at the language there in verse 1. I love you, Lord, my strength. Then we come down in verse 2. He says, the horn of my salvation that language teaches us that the Lord is our reliance, that he is our joy, that he is our firm foundation, that the Lord is our hope. That's what the language points to, that he is the one we build our life on, that the Lord is the one who empowers us to live for his glory and for his honor. It's the Lord who empowers us to walk by faith and to stand on truth regardless of all the chaos that's surrounding us. Because he is our strength, he is our might, he is our power. It's a beautiful reminder that we can't walk this journey alone. We need the Lord. The next thing I want you to see is the Lord is our rock that can't be moved. In verse 2 it says, the Lord is my rock, my rock where I seek refuge. The language points to a large and immovable boulder or mountain. As I was studying this, what came to my mind, the picture that came to my mind was Stone Mountain. <laughs> Many of you have been there. It refers to a place of safety, rest, and comfort, a place where we know we will be kept safe. It reminds us of the unchangeable, eternal nature of God. David is reminding us that God is faithful. Like Stone Mountain, like that rock, God's not going anywhere. <laughs> Aren't you grateful for that today, that God is the same yesterday and today and forever? God is, is firm. He is fixed. He is on his throne. He's not going anywhere. He's faithful and unchanging to the end. Next, David reminds us, he teaches us here, that the Lord is our place of safety and security. Look what he says there, my fortress, my stronghold. This language refers to a wilderness or a mountainous place for hiding and gathering supplies. It is a place of safety hidden from the storm, a place inaccessible to the enemy. Oftentimes, this same language is used to refer to an eagle's nest, high in a tree, 
fortified. Sometimes it's used to refer to a citadel high upon the mountain, far above the enemy. Those of you that have served in the military know and understand this, that, that an elevated position is always a better fighting position. You don't want to climb to the enemy. You want to look down on the enemy, right? Elevation is always good. And this points us to a citadel that's high on the mountain. David reminds us that in Christ we are safe from the enemy in his presence. We are, a, we are in, a, in a safe place. He is our safety and security. But then he goes on to say, the Lord is our rescuer. Look what he says there, my deliverer, my salvation. My deliverer, my salvation. It refers to the one responsible for rescuing us from danger, life-threatening situations. One of my favorite chapters of Scripture is 2 Chronicles chapter 20. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to read it and study it. In it, we see one of the great prayers of human history. Not that I'm ranking prayers and all prayers are good, but we see in it a phenomenal prayer that King Jehoshaphat prayed before the Lord uh, regarding the, the, the situation the Hebrew people found themselves in. And we just sang about this a minute ago, but in that prayer, the Lord answers Jehoshaphat, and here's what he says. The battle is not yours, but God's. The battle is not yours, but God's. Listen, Christian, I want to remind you of something. The battle doesn't belong to us. It's, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's responsibility to fight his children's battles. It's the Lord's responsibility to go before his children. I remember when I, had, when I came to a place where we were walking through this with Elizabeth, that week before we got to UAB and, and got much better news, I remember I, I came to a place, and it wasn't easy for me to, I, I fought hard, but I remember coming to a place and saying to the Lord, Father, she is your child. She belongs to you. Your will be done. You fight this battle, Lord. You fight this battle. wasn't easy to get to that spot because <laughs> I wanted to fix it, right? I wanted to solve the problem. But I had to get to a place. God had to get me to a place where he had to teach me that I couldn't solve the problem, that only he could. The battle belongs to the Lord. It's not ours to fight. The Lord is our rescuer. And then finally, the Lord is our protector. Look what he says there. My shield. My shield. And that refers to a shield used in battle, a shield that protects us from the blows of the enemy. It's similar language that we see in Ephesians 6 where we are told to put on the full armor of faith. And it says the shield, the full armor of God, the shield of faith by which we will be able to withstand the, the arrows, the flaming arrows of the enemy. It's very similar language. David likens God to the one who stands between us and the enemy, God who absorbs the blows of the enemy for us. He is our shield. He is our shield. The Lord is our protector. Now, here's how I want to co conclude. David is confident, and David is bold to call out to God, to cry out to God, because David knows God intimately and passionately. 
The use of the pronoun emphasize, the use of the pronoun my emphasizes this truth. Let, let's look at it again. And listen, just listen to the pronoun. I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock where I seek refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I was saved from my enemies. The ropes of death were wrapped around me. The torrents of destruction terrified me. The ropes of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. I called to the Lord in my distress, and I cried to my God for help. And from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Ten times David says, my God, my rescuer, my salvation, my stronghold, my rock, my strength, my fortress, my deliverer. Listen, for, for David, God was not just some idea, some cosmic force somewhere out there that just pressed play and walked away. He wasn't the head honcho. He wasn't the big man upstairs. For David, God was his God, his Lord, and his Redeemer, and his protector, and his shield, and his fortress, and his refuge. And because of that, David was confident, and he was bold to cry out to him. He was bold and confident to fully trust him. He was bold and confident to fully surrender all of his life to him. He was fully confident to walk with him wherever he led. That's why David could say in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. <laughs> Here's a good reminder for you and I today. A shadow has no substance. A shadow has no power. David wasn't worried about it, for the Lord goes before him. Well, how did he come to that place of such boldness and such confidence in the Lord? It's because he knew him personally and intimately. David had an unshakable confidence in God because he knew him. And he had watched him work mightily in his life over and over and over. Are you ready for this? God has worked the same way in your life and my life, whether we have realized it or stopped and taken the time to understand it. For God is always at work. He never sleeps nor slumbers. And so here's the question for us as we read this very deeply personal psalm, song, I should say, that David wrote. Do you know the Lord in this way? Are you confident enough, confident enough this morning to, to say he is my strength and my rock and my fortress and my deliverer and my God and my rock where I seek refuge and my shield and the horn of my salvation and my stronghold and my God? For I know this. God wants you to know him with that same level of intimacy and passion that David knew him. It's not something just this reserved just for David. God wants us to know him in that way. He wants us to walk with him in that way. He wants us to be bold and confident in the Lord in the same way. And so the question again is this, do you know the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jesus Christ in this way? 
For God wants that for you. He wants you to know him in that way. Pray with me. Father God, I want to thank you for the journey you, you led David on. And as we read through 2 Samuel, I'm afraid, Lord, I'm guilty that sometimes I don't really understand and I don't follow and pay close enough attention to what you're doing. And I'm grateful that you led David to write this song of celebration and proclamation so that we forever have it written down how great and mighty and awesome you were, you are in his life. And Father God, I want to know you like this. I want to understand you like David knew you. And so, Lord God, would you continue to mold and shape us? For some here this morning, Lord, they need to begin a relationship with you. They need to take the very first step of knowing you intimately and passionately, and that is surrendering in faith to your son, Jesus Christ. And so right now, Lord, I ask and pray that there is any individual in this room, a senior adult, a middle school student, a high school student, a college student, or anybody in between, if there's anyone in this room who's never made a personal decision to surrender in faith to Jesus Christ, Lord, I ask and pray that right now in this moment, you would grab hold of their heart and their mind and bring them to Jesus. Show them their sin. Show them their need of a Savior. Bring them to a place of faith and repentance today, Lord. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you may be sitting there thinking, that's me. I, I need to do that. I, I need to say yes to Jesus. Friend, it is the single greatest decision any human being can make, and I want to encourage you this morning to do that. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? What's involved in that? It's amazingly simple. Right where you're seated, cry out to the Lord Jesus. Cry out to him. So, something along these lines, nothing magical about these words. Lord Jesus, here's my life. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross to pay the penalty of my sin. I believe you rose from the dead victorious. And today, Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you. I'm turning over control of my life to you, Lord. Here it is. Take it. Have your way in my life, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to live for you. And friend, if you are sincere in that heart's cry, God will indeed redeem you and save you and rescue you and bring you into his family. And today is the first day of the greatest journey that life has, a journey with Christ that will lead to heaven for all of eternity. Father God, I want to thank you again for this day you've given us. Thank you for the time we've had in worship. And Lord, I pray that we've worshiped you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, now in our, these final few moments, would you just continue to bring glory and honor to yourself. Make yourself known in this place, Lord. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to stand. The team